Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com So I'm guessing baseball, when they change this rule, will have to rename it, like the Kevin Kiermeyer rule, right? It'll be named the Hunter Renfro rule, because it'll be named after a Boston player, of course. Uh, not always, though. Not always. Well, although, yeah, that makes sense because Boston is way more famous than anybody in Tampa Bay. But since it came back to bite the, the Rays, maybe they'll name it after KK. Here's what happened if you didn't see it and you've been living in a cave. I mean, by and large, the Rays kind of got screwed. Um, they followed the rules. Nobody cheated, per se. But in a game in the top of the 13th, tied 0 0. Um, you get a uh, a single by Yandy Diaz, and they get to two outs, full count on Kevin Kiermaier. So Yandy Diaz is running on the pitch. That's the key here. He's running on the pitch, okay? And KK drills one. And to be honest with you, when he hit it, I thought it was gone. It sort of had that trajectory. Um, I thought it was pulled more than it was, but it still looked like it might get out. And frankly, from the angle from home plate, you couldn't tell that it didn't get out. Um, what it did was bounce off the warning track, hit the wall. That short four-foot wall out there. Yeah, four Which foot. They want to complain. And Tom Jones actually tweeted about this. You want to complain about the trop and its quirks or whatever else. How about a four-foot wall coming into play here? Yeah, exactly, because this, this is important. So it hits off the four-foot wall, but then it hits outfitter Hunter Renfro, who's moving towards the ball, and without attempting to do this, the ball ricochets off of him and then back over that little miniature four-foot wall for what is then ruled a ground rule double. But you say, wait a minute, Yandy Diaz was running on the play. He would have walked home easily and scored because he was practically at third base when the ball bounced over. So clearly he should be awarded home plate. No, because the actual rule is written in such that if a ball is you know bounce off bounces off a uh, a fence and off a player or off a player at any point and goes over the fence, not intentional, it cannot be intentional, not in, unintentionally. Yeah. You can't throw it over there. You can't kick it over there. But yeah, unintentionally, as it was in this case, then each 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 runner is awarded two bases. That's it. There's no discretion from the umpire who could have easily said, "Well, he would have scored," which is an awful rule. Terrible. I mean, if you watch the replay, Yandy Diaz is already on third base heading home That's when correct. that ball goes out of play. Kiermaier's almost to second already. He's going to go to third standing up. Yeah, no question. Yeah. I mean, and if, if that ball, if, if Renfro boots it and it and doesn't go over the wall but goes, say, back right to right left. field, not towards the, yeah. the, the center fielder but to right field, KK possibly gets it inside the park home run, depending on how it gets booted. But because it went over a four-foot wall, only two bases and the Rays end up not scoring. In that inning, that's correct. I mean, it just it's it rots. Of course, let's not forget that that didn't end the inning. Okay, no, you had runners on second and third with two out, and once again, and this happened all too often in Sunday night's game. Mike Zanino came up in a key situation, and he struck him out. So, but but that you, was you also. Wonder, a theme. But you wonder how the pitch sequence and everything else would have changed now that Boston would have been down a run at that point. Well, I mean, first of all, yeah, you, you might even you, – you feel totally different, right? Mm -hmm. You're winning the ball game. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of things change. And so, yeah, I, I'm just saying that there was one more opportunity yes. to correct things. Yes, there was. Get a base hit, drive in two runs. And the Rays' bats and, were awful with runners in scoring position this game. And, and not – yes, they were. And, and, you know, credit them for rallying back. Well, you know, they were down, what, 4-2? That's correct. Um, going in the eighth inning, they rallied back to tie it in four sex ratings, which is great on their part. But they struck out more than 20 times, 20 or more times, or right around there. Um, all of a sudden, you know, this was a team that did that the first month of the season, maybe the first month and a half. And then after that, they were one of these, you know, better teams in terms of putting the ball in play. Now we're in the postseason, and it's strikeout central. 
you know. Um, so well, they're back to that. Well, how about Brendan Lau? Oh, my God. I thought this was supposed to be the redemption year for him in the playoffs. Yeah, here's the thing. You know, you can talk about, well, you know, um, that would never happen again. Playoff pressure, all those things. And the guy goes out and Brendan Lau hit 39 home runs. He drove in almost 100. I mean, he was phenomenal, right? And one of his best games of the year came late in the season at New York. He crushed three home runs in a game. So he, you couldn't have a player who was swinging a hotter bat going into the postseason. And I will give you this. His first two at-bats or two of his first three at-bats, he hit absolute seeds. They were both caught. They were right at the right fielder and someplace else. But he, he looked comfortable at the plate and just hit bullets. But since then, or even including then, he's an offer again this postseason. It's just you, you can't have it. You can't have your best hitter not just be your best hitter, but, but be a zero factor. He's over again. Mm-hmm. And he batted leadoff today. Yeah. Which is what, you know, that's what Kevin Cash has been doing uh, often. Also, you know, usually hits Randy Rosarine up there. Randy was dropped to sixth, I yeah. believe. Well, yeah, with the right-hander up, he wanted Lau up first, being a lefty. Yeah. So that's why the, the lineup changed. And, yeah, Rosarino was sixth. Um, Wander yeah. stayed in the two-hole. Right. But – you just you can't, and again the strikeouts. But you can't you can't just disappear in the postseason. I mean that's what that's what baseball or or any sport you're really judged on. You know what I'm saying? I mean and I mean no one, no one could have played better necessarily for 162. But my goodness, they left a lot of runners uh, in scoring position, or at least had you know really horrible average with runners in scoring position. It's it's disappointing. Look. Um, we can even talk about game two, which, uh, I mean, that was, you know, when when you when you allow two runs in the first inning, right, and they're pitching Shane Boz, he gives up the two runs, but then you come back and you get a grand slam, and you're up five to two after the after the game you had the first week. I mean, with with Luplo. Hitting the grand slam? You and I were texting a lot during this game. Yes. And I think we both agree. I believe Kevin Cash mismanaged that game. And I don't say that very often about Cash. Right. Because I think he's an excellent manager. But he gets a 5-2 lead in the first inning. After you go down 2 nothing, you come back, you get the grand slam from Luplo. You're up 5-2. Boz isn't pitching very well, so you pulled him early after you give up a third run in the third inning. Mm-hmm. But the pitchers you brought in, I'm bringing in Johnny Holstaff. I'm winning game two, no matter Absolutely. what. Absolutely. No matter Absolutely. what. Absolutely. I don't want to see Whistler. I don't want to see Waka. I'm bringing in, where's Kittredge? Where's Fairbanks? Where's, yeah. your, where's your top guys? That's who I'm bringing in. At 5-2 after I've escaped yep. that first inning? Yes, absolutely. I, I have a chance to take a 2-0 lead before I go on the road. I am winning that game no matter what. I'm putting my right. best pitchers out there, not trying to save pitchers for game three. And to me, it felt like it was all about game three. In fact, one mm-hmm. of the first things Cash said after that game was, well, I felt like we set up our, our bullpen pretty well for game I, three. I don't care about game three. Neither do I. In a five-game yep. series, as we've just witnessed, anything can happen, including balls bounding off of outfielders over the wall for ground rule doubles that should have been mm-hmm. you know a run. So that's that's why you play like there's no tomorrow unless you want to wake up one day and there's no tomorrow. Well, and, and I'll I mean, even say with the lineup he he did that. So Chris Sale lefty so you have a heavy right-handed lineup. Mhm. Sale only goes an inning, gives up the 5 and you bring in Tanner Houck. Who was Which dealing. is by the way, they managed way more aggressively with their uh mm-hmm. pitching staff than Kevin Cash has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Way more aggressively. Well, Both they, their starters although, left after two innings. Although generally they have more traditional starters on their roster than the Rays do. I mean, when you have Tanner Houck that is not a True. starter for you in the postseason, that helps. But Right, but, but to, you know, to my point is, is like he was going to throw as many pitchers as he needed to, yep. whether they were starters, non-starters. He, he didn't stick with his guys. Yep. But Houck was dealing, particularly against righties. Righties couldn't do anything against him. Nope. Nope. Where's Meadows? Where's Wendell? Both sitting on the bench. Wendell never didn't even make it in the game. Meadows finally pinch it in the ninth. Right. But where was he in the fourth when when Margot when the was game up? Was, or, in, was in just worst yeah. case? I think it was the sixth or seventh. I don't remember which inning it was. And I'm sitting there going, why? You know, why isn't uh, it was uh, why wasn't Wendell hitting for Diaz that inning? 
in Meadows for Margot. For Margot. Mm-hmm. And and I, I was I was in the booth with Andy and Dave on the radio, and they were like, "Well, Taylor's warming up in the bullpen, and he's you know that batters have hit one thirty against lefties against him." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, but righties are hitting like zero 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 against Hauk tonight. I'll take my chances." Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> if I can get Hauk out of the game, that's everything. Then fine. Uh, you know, Taylor's only going to go one inning. He's a reliever. He's not mm-hmm. going to pitch the rest of the game. No. I just I just I I thought they played. Like that was a regular season game, and game two, they did. and and you get that five two lead early, you've got to win that game. Period. They not only that they they played it like like it was like it was a a ser- you know a series in in August. I mean we're we're in the playoffs here, you know. Like I mean, mm-hmm. in twenty four hours you you know you know you find yourself now down two games to one. So like, <laughs> you just can't look at it that. The other thing that that confused me is so here's here's Whistler right who had to basically go on the IL the last part of the season because um, he had a finger problem. And he was having trouble gripping his slider and getting the, you know, getting the bite on the slider, which is his, which is his whole thing. It's nine um, out of ten pitches are sliders for him. Yeah, that's all they want him to throw, which might be why he's having finger problems. That's another subject for another day. But he goes down there. He supposedly is better. He has a couple rehab starts whatever, or appearances, whatever. They, you know, I mean, he was one of the guys that made the postseason roster. Not everybody did, as we know. So they bring him in, and he clearly doesn't have what he needs, which is that bite, the bite on his slider. Okay, I don't. Again, five to two game. You get a grand slam. You have all the momentum from the night before, which was a shutout. The place is going crazy, and in the biggest innings, you're pitching Whistler. You're pitching a guy who who just the last few weeks of the season wasn't with you. Okay, so that aside, I mean that. So that goes awry, even at the end of that game. Okay, they get to about the seventh inning, and Michael Walker is your choice, right? Now, this is a Rays team that has scored more runs the seventh inning or later than any team in baseball, and I mean by a lot, okay? And yet, you think Michael Walker is going to keep you in it. Michael Walker, with the exception of a few outings at the end of the year, has been one of the hardest hit guys I've ever seen. I mean, the velocity of balls coming off his pitches – all year long. There's no swing and miss left in him. Period. Just isn't. So I mean, again, they they quickly, quickly pivoted from, hey, uh, we'd like to win game two to mm-hmm. let's set it all up for game three. We want we're in great shape for game three. Well, by the time Waka came in, it was eight eight five. And I think they were just saving a three run game though, nonetheless. I, I, I don't disagree with you, but I I understand but McHugh wasn't good, Whistler wasn't good. No. And and McHugh is uh, you know, I haven't seen what Cash has said as far as who's gonna start game four tonight. I'm assuming oh, it's McHugh. Since Patino went. Yeah. Um I'm just looking to see if uh if I see who's who's gonna be uh, I don't know if it's been announced yet, but I mean you assume- could pitch McClanahan for a couple of innings. Poss- I, I, I mean, look, it's got to be Johnny Holstaff today. Absolutely. There's no tomorrow now. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, I assume. I mean, is anybody unavailable? I mean, would Rasmussen, I mean, he only went, what, two innings? 33 Robertson pitches? Might, he, Rasmussen maybe could go. Maybe? Robertson might be Robertson threw, what, 30 pitches today. Yeah, he's probably unavailable. He threw thirty or what did he, what did he throw? Thirty? Yeah. Forty pitches. Yeah, I'm sorry. Forty, 40 pitches yeah. in his two innings. He's, He's probably, probably unavailable. Patino, I don't know with a back to back. He only threw fifteen pitches. I mean, like you said, everybody's available that that's available. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it's not unless your workload. Robertson, I think, pitched a lot. Um Yeah, with forty I, pitches, he's probably not gonna go game four. But everybody else I would yeah. think is Yeah. Is close. But I just I didn't like the way they managed game two. Game three, I didn't have a problem with the way he was managed. I think the bats were just not very good. I mean, you know, Meadows hit no. a home run early. They did, you know, Frank, Wander Franco hits an opposite field shot over the monster. Um, Big hit by Rosarina to tie it. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, uh, the you Umps know. blew a call there too. I mean, they didn't blow the Kiermaier one, but Rosarina gets interfered with by Schwarber rounding first head into second. They don't give him third base, and it's the rule no explicitly yeah. says you get third base in that case. Yeah, um, they they missed that one pretty bad. Uh, yeah. Is that not reviewable? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, you know, I have a problem with 
if you're going to have review, then everything should be reviewable. They review but, all of it, but yeah. they, you know, don't allow that, which makes no sense to me. We have review because right. we want to get the play right, but you can't review this, 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 or this. Well, what, what good's that do? Mm. But that's a different that's a different story for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we mean our podcast, not yeah, the, just a different, different day, different day, different day, same podcast, different day. Jeez, <laughs> oh, but now I'm it's do, you, it's do or die for the hundred win race tonight. Hundred win team. And what I want to say is this about it. And, and look, I I watch so many of these games this year because I'm just it's always on, right? I'm mm-hmm. a baseball fan, mm-hmm. not a Rays fan, but I, I love baseball, and so that's what's on in Tampa. And I I watch a lot of their games. I'd say most of their games, actually, uh, at least see a good portion of most of them. Mm-hmm. And there's no denying that they've had one hell of a year. I mean, listen, you don't win a hundred games. You don't win the East two years in a row with the Yankees, the, this Red Sox team, for example, all the bats they have, um, the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, there's so so much talent. I, you know, they did it on the heels of dominating the Baltimore Orioles, you know, 18 to 1 or whatever. Um, okay, fine. But at the end of the day, they had an amazing year, especially with the injuries, especially with using 60-something players and all those pitchers included. So it's just – it's been a – it's a marvel. And it's it's proven, and in the Rays' way, uh, you know, wins, and it gets you in the postseason. Here's what I think has shown up as the flaw, and that is, you know, they made a calculus at some point a while ago that they were going to choose talent over experience, and you know, they're, they started three ro- a rookie in games one, two, and three of this series. One of those guys was pitching in Tokyo for the U.S. Olympic team a few months ago um, and ended up starting game two in Shane Boss. Tremendously talented guy. Um, by all our appearances, incredibly poised. But there's no way you know how he's going to react to that situation at that age with that lack of experience until he's out there. And what does he do? First inning, four-pitch walk to start the game. Um, his command wasn't what it had been. Still a cool customer, you know, gave up the two runs to get a grand slam back, gets out of the next inning. But he wasn't able to give you much in terms of length. And, you know, for that matter, um, you know, this idea that you go the whole year and you never really have an ace. Hell, you never really have starters. You know, you have some guys who start. You have some guys who open. You have some guys who can come in and give you bulk innings. Um, you have lots of different roles for all your pitchers. But you didn't really have outside at the end of the year, I think you could say, well, McClanahan was definitely a starter. For a while, they were trying Patino. For a while, they were, Rasmussen ended up with that role, you know, a guy that had always been in a reliever before they got him from the Brewers. So you go into postseason, and your first three pitchers in that first series are all rookies. And you're hoping, hoping you get five innings from them. At which point you're going to turn it over to a ball, bullpen that at the end of the day really isn't that good. They, I mean, they never establish like who's going to get the 27th out. They don't have the power. You talk about power arms. There's a few down there. Kittrich is an all-star. He had an unbelievable year. Trust him with the last inning for sure or any high leverage situation. Um, but there's not many of them. And, you don't, and they all sort of had turns on the IL or – or periods where they didn't pitch very well, or you know, there's not a Nick Anderson, for example, that you had working for you up until you know last year's uh, you know, World Series game, game six. So it, it just you see it now, and you go, hey, this works really well through 162 games because you play all the odds, you play all the matchups, you play this. Yeah, you don't need start. You know, you just you know you you have an incredible amount of depth in your organization. And you bring guys in and out, and Lewis heads going back and forth, and all of that's great when you have a series in Baltimore, you know. But when you get to the postseason, and you're playing the Boston Red Sox or the, or the better teams, the Houston Astros, where they can all rake, you know, where every out is contested, every every pitch, then it's just different, man. Like you need some studs. You need some guys that can give that, that you're not guessing whether they're going to go out there and battle, you know, and, and that's what the race can't do. They can't afford Max Scherzer, which is what they absolutely need. You know, you don't have three guys where you go, yep, he's going game one, him two, him three. 
And when we come back around, we'll do it again. You know? Or if I have to shorten up, he'll come back on short rest. You don't, you don't have those guys. You got young, talented guys um, because that's just who you are right now and, and who maybe you always be. And you can do that. You can work that 60-man roster for 162 games. You can't do it in a five-game series. You don't have 60 guys in a five-game series. You know, they can't shuttle back and forth. So well, I, I think the other part, too, is and, and maybe, you know, when the season's over, whenever that is, maybe we'll, we'll learn more. But a lot of their best pitchers have struggled down the stretch. They have, yeah. You know, and whether it's just they're they're tired, too much use this year, whatever it is. I mean, you know, last year was Nick Anderson. That was lights out in the regular season. By the time we got to the postseason, and he said afterwards his arm was tired, it it was sore, Mm -hmm. it was this. It would have been nice if he'd have told someone ahead of time so maybe they don't use him in all the high leverage situations. That's true. But, like, Kittredge, phenomenal season. But the last 10, 12 outings, he struggled and gave up. Probably runs in about half those outings. Yeah, no one has been pitching well going into this postseason. I'm mm-hmm. with you. Fairbanks has struggled down the stretch. Yes, he did. I mean, all their high-leverage guys are not pitching very well at this point. Right. You know, I Even mean, Kittredge came in, what, today, gave what, an inning and a third, gave up two hits. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't give up a run. But, you know, I mean, the first six innings in, in Sunday's game, the Red Sox got the first batter on base. Yeah. I mean, that puts tremendous stress on your team and your pitching and everything else. Oh, yeah. Where Evaldi was mowing down the first hitters. Right. And and who had Ovaldi a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. Your Tampa Bay Rays. Mm-hmm. And after they rehabilitated his arm and proved that he could still throw, he went and got the big contract. You know, I was watching this. I mean, you, you watch turn on any playoff game. Atlanta had three or four Rays players. Or um, um, Atlanta had one. Well, Darno they had a couple. Uh, more chat, yeah, exactly. Uh, Morton, um, yeah, the pitcher, Charlie Morton, uh, yeah, Charlie, Charlie Morton. Morton's on there, yeah. And then I look at Milwaukee, you've got well, a Milwaukee's got tons. You, you've, I mean, half their lineup are former Rays. Brad Boxberger's there, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, you've got tons of Rays there, right? So, I mean, there's talent everywhere, much of which you couldn't afford to keep, you know, which is which is a Rays way, okay, you know, guy makes comes in, he makes some money, mm-hmm. does we have them, and we get prospects and. Look, no one's arguing with, with what they've done. I, we said this going into the playoffs. You can't change your tone now. I just don't think that in the postseason that that you can get away without having three guys that have some experience, you know, to turn to and say, we got you know, games one, two, and three right here, boys. Well, well this year was the grand experiment in that. Because, I mean, last year you went in with Morton, Snell, mm-hmm. and Class now. Right. Now, unfortunately, Glass now was hurt. You'd hope to have him this year, and he was supposed to be your ace. Right. McClanahan's developed nicely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think he's an ace yet. But he's their ace. But, I mean, well, he's their ace at this point because of, of out of necessity. But he's a really good pitcher that's only going to get better. I mean, this is his rookie season still. Remember, he made his yeah. debut in the postseason last year. Right. You know, Shane Boz looks like he's going to have great stuff. But he's pitched right. three games in the major leagues. Tuesday or uh, Friday night was game four. And, and his worst outing, but, I mean, you know. He but come on, he's 20 years well, Yeah, no, 20. no, I'm not, I'm not putting – I'm not sitting there. It's not no, a I – th- I think they did it. I think they put too much mm-hmm. on him. It's way too much to – let's listen to John Smoltz. And then I, first of all, I, I agree with what most of John's, what John Smoltz says because he really understands the game. He really understands pitching. And all he said was, look, you know, the kids' stuff is incredible – uh-huh. They say his makeup's incredible. He goes, but I'm just here to tell you, until you get out there in that atmosphere, until you feel it, he goes, and, and experience it, at some point it just becomes baseball again. He goes, but there is no way, even the veteran players, there's no way to predict how a 20-year-old kid's going to react to that situation. And so what does he do? He goes out, walks forward. You see, you see it. You uh-huh. see him lose command. You see, he's trying to get balls over instead of having the. He, he snap couldn't to figure his out how slider. to locate his fastball. He just couldn't find right. that fastball location. Right, and against and a good so lineup like the Red Sox, I mean that's a good so, lineup. Yeah. Oh, it's it's one of the and that's the other thing you realize is like, you know, you're playing the best team every single night in this five game series. There are no breaks, and everybody's dialed in. And I thought another thing that was interesting is that, you know. 
um, teams, you know, during a season you see a lot of hitters go up there, strike out, home run, right? Their approach is different, right? They're they got 165 games or 62 games. They're they're just looking to do something, you know, stay within themselves, take the best swings, two strikes doesn't matter, all that. Then you get in the postseason and you have all these shifts, right, that work for 162 games. Then all of a sudden, guys are up there and they don't want to make an out, okay? Because they know every out is precious. And they know every at-bat they don't want to give away. So what do they do? You start seeing guys hit the ball the other way. I mean, the good hitters, right? You pull the, put the shift on, guess what? They're going, they're hitting ground balls the other way. They start playing pepper with the bat. They want to make contact. So things change in the postseason because the postseason is the postseason. And you've managed for beautifully for 162, but now, now everybody is playing a little bit different because it matters a little bit more. And, you know, so, so all of that kind of plays into that. But, I, you know, where this, where this got away was 5-2, grand slam. I mean, imagine you shut out – you get, you get a shutout the first night. Uh, Rosarina plays his mind off. Home run, steals home. Like, you're the talk of the baseball world. And then you fall behind 2 nothing. Then you get a grand slam. I mean, everything is going your way. You're 5-2. This series has to – you've got to win game two. You've got to do everything you can to win that game. I know. You get a grand slam from Jordan Luplo. Jordan Luplo. I mean – Which people are like, why is he on the roster? Right. The legacy of the Rays just grows, right? They put in Jordan Luplo. They can do no wrong. But then you start believing that yourself, you know, if you're not careful. And then here you are, you know, 48 hours later, fighting for your life. And you may have already played the last game this year at Tropicana Field. You know, they could be done, but they're not. They need one win. Get one win tonight and worry about Wednesday, Wednesday. You're fine. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, here's what you can't do also, and you'll hear this, I'm sure, is you can't let that screwy bounce, that screwy rule, it can't beat you twice. It beat you in game three. It cannot beat you in game four. Mm-hmm. This cannot. You cannot allow this to be your like. You got to look at the twenty strikeouts or so. You got to look at the mistakes that you made, the opportunities with runners in scoring position. You got to look at Mike Zanino, um, and different guys like that, and come up with you know better at bats um, against Nick Pavetta, who they made look like Bob Gibson. I never. He'd struck out four guys in, in or seven guys in four innings. I mean, come on. I think it of just, all these, the first six outs were strikeouts. They all were, yeah. I mean, you know, Meadows had a two-run home run, and, and kudos for the Rays. You got beat 14-6 to six on Friday night. Mm-hmm. And you come out in the first inning, and three batters in, you're up 2 nothing on a Meadows home run. That's great. That was, that's how you rebound from it. Sure. Except they give up a, a leadoff home run to Schwarber in the next inning, or the bottom and if the you And if you look at the, the 20 hits they had in game two, uh, the Red Sox did, in the, what, 14 runs or so, okay, so in the last two games, and I know they don't carry over, right? But the Red Sox have scored 20 runs. So how much offense do you have to have if you're giving up 20 runs in two games? A lot. And what does that say about your pitching? Getting racked. I know they have a good lineup. They have a terrific lineup. But you do too. You have the best offense you've ever had in your franchise history, really. Mm-hmm. Except it's not showing up like we just mentioned with Lau. So, when when you give up twenty runs in two games, it's not hard to figure out why you're not winning. It really isn't, and that's isn't that ironic? You know, don't you think? When so much about this season was about depth of pitching and the shuttles back and forth and the matchups. Oh, it sounds so great! And how do they do it? Where do they find these guys? Where's by the way? Where's Lewis Head? Not on the roster. Why the hell not? <laughs> well, if, if they if they decide to, to put Whistler on because his finger's giving him issue again, then they could bring up Head. But but I what I read you can't was use is, Whistler in the next series if you do that. What I yeah what I read was that Whistler was quote too valuable that even with his finger they don't want to take him off the roster. So that tells you what what you need to know is like they're depending on people who aren't healthy. Okay, that's not a good position. They know that they're in trouble with the pitching right now. They know they are. You know, because again, well, then the bats have to be better. The bats got to carry them. It's got to carry them. I mean, this offense you know? that we've talked about, how how good they are. Five runs game one. Four runs in game two. 
Mm-hmm. Or no, six runs game two, and then you get four in game three, but that was through 13 innings. Right. I mean, this offense, with, with the way you're pitching, is that offense has to be better than that. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, be. I thought I thought they were going to have to win games six to four. Now it looks like they're going to have to win games eight to six. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way they're playing. That, that's, that, that's the kind of runs they're allowing. So they just don't – I mean, they just, you know, it's been an opportunity squandered. And yet, you know – it ain't over till it's game. over. No, you got to win one game to get to you know to get to game five at the trop, and you'll take your chances, and you would take your chances, mm-hmm. and you'd feel pretty good about them. But we, you know, I, what I think this, you know, and this is the way people always think, right? This this whole series will be remembered for this one screwy play, and I'm telling you, in the grand scheme of things, it could have changed game. It could have changed this game. There's no question about that. It absolutely had an impact on it. You know, were there more plays than that, more at-bats than that that decided it? Yes. Uh, we already discussed most of them. But that's that's the way sports is. And wouldn't it be ironic, don't you think, if they changed this rule as a result of that play, right? And what would they call it, the KK rule? What would they call it? Just like the Bert Emanuel rule. I was going to say, call Bert Emanuel, see how he's doing. You know, I've seen this movie. I know how it ends. He winds up being more noted for, you know, a rule that was changed as a result of a of a something that went against him in a playoff game, like Bert Emanuel's catch, which they at the time ruled that the ground uh, participated in him securing possession of the ball, which wasn't true. The ball happened to hit the ground, but he had possession already. So he gets the Bert Emanuel rule. This might end up being the KK rule, Kevin Kiermaier rule, um, simply because. It needs to be changed. It, there needs to be some umpire discretion. You know, otherwise, name another sport or another rule, right, where a misplay, right, not intentional, but a misplay by the non-offensive team, a misplay of the ball, right, ends up penalizing the team that did something right, that did nothing wrong at all. That, you know? that's, what, that's, what, that's what irks you about the rule. Yeah. Is that the Rays got penalized because Renfro screwed up the play. Because another guy on the other team mm-hmm. screwed up a play. Right. And it wound up costing them. That that just doesn't make sense. You can't punish a team for somebody else's misplay. That's what's wrong with this rule. That's why it needs to be changed. And as much as I'm for not putting you know, decisions in the hands of umpires <laughs> because that's never safe there, um, in this case, discretion you know, should have been the umpires, and they easily could have looked at that replay and saw where that's a run. The guy's standing on third when the ball goes over. And the Kiermaier fence, should so. have been on third. He should have been on third, and minimum the run scores. And now it's a different situation because now the Red Sox are trailing. Um, you know, the pressure's off Zanino. He's hitting with house money. Everything everything shifts back around. So ifs and buts, candies and nuts, and Merry Christmas and all that. But, man, what a what a tough loss. What a tough way to lose a game. What a screwy rule that we all learned about the hard way. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what they're able to do, you know, in their final game up there in Boston and if they can have another game at the Trop. Because, boy, when they left here, to think that they weren't coming back, that would be a, that'd be a tough one to swallow for this, for this ball club. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, the Bucks beat the Miami Dolphins 45-17, and Joey Knight, I'll say a couple things about this game. Um, one, it, it surprised me just how well uh, the Bucks offense played once they got going because they got off to kind of a slow start. I mean, this was a one-score game for a good bit of the time, um, 20, 24-17 at one point. Um, and, and two – I mean, Tom Brady and Antonio Brown keep putting up numbers for guys that uh, their age are are well retired as football players, and much less I don't. 
I mean, they're moving bars to places I don't think anybody can, can ever reach. This was one of those days where you just sit back and you marvel at two guys that are going to wear gold jackets one day, and you see them playing at a peak performance at an age when no one said they could do it. Middle-aged marvels. They are a combined 77 years old, Rick. Shoot. And today Tom Brady had the first game of his NFL life where he threw for at least 400 yards and five touchdowns. So just another milestone in a career that could occupy its own wing in Canton. And, you know, the we saw it. The most amazing thing is he dinged up his thumb late in the first half. He looks like he hit a Dolphin player's helmet. He was favoring it. He was looking down at it. You could tell. And this was late in the second half. Late in the first half. Right. And in the second half, he's 13 for 16. Finishes with 411 yards. And even more impressive, or arguably more impressive, Rick, just the ball distribution. I'm looking at the stat sheet right now. Five guys had at least 40 receiving yards. Brown, Godwin, Evans, Fournette, and even even Tyler Johnson, God bless him, finished with three catches for 42 yards. Equal distribution in the red zone. We know how much they struggled in the red zone last week at New England. And with Tom in the game, they were 4-5. They scored touchdowns on four of five trips inside the red zones like we were talking earlier i've run out of adjectives for the guy it's just antonio brown said he never ceases to amaze me well he just echoed the sentiments of everybody in this town yeah i mean i I don't know we'll look back at these days i guess years from now or maybe a year from now or less than a year from now and just you know it it is a meteor of of performance and of production i mean you know how many years have i sat here well way too many watching offenses not be able to you know, to gain 200 yards, much, much less, um, you know, do it every quarter, it seems. And so um, it was really something. And, and you know, I, listen, you wrote about Brady. I wrote about uh, Antonio Brown and the relationship with that. Um, you know, for Brown, I mean, the talent, people doubted whether he still had it and he had a knee injury a year ago. And, you know, frankly, in, you know, he came here midway through the season, didn't know the offense, still managed to catch 45 passes for almost 500 yards the four touchdowns. We saw what he did with the touchdown in the Super Bowl. But there's no bigger advocate in the world for Antonio Brown than Tom Brady or Brady, you know, Brown for Brady. I mean, those two, um, even though they spent one game together at New England, and it was a good game nonetheless, but they, they beat the Miami Dolphins 45 to nothing. Um, somehow that that fermented a relationship that, that, that Brady went to bat for this guy. And by all outward appearances, I mean, we talked to Bruce Arians, and I know that at the time Arians had said he had too much diva and all this stuff. Bruce Arians is singing a different tune now because Antonio Brown has been um, that zero-tolerance guy that has done nothing but everything right off the field, seemingly, and now on the field is a force. And um, I don't – like you said, I don't know you can come up with more superlatives, but if you're a defensive coordinator, look – the Miami Dolphins tried to do a lot of the same things the Patriots did, right? Uh, there's a lot of familiarity with that coaching staff. They also, I think, have better players on defense in some spots, like Xavier Howard. Mm-hmm. He pulled away from Xavier Howard like, like you know, a, a, a track star would run away, you know, on the final leg of, of a 4 by 100 It was incredible. You know, somebody asked Arians after the game, has Antonio lost a step on his 40 time? And I'm paraphrasing here. Arians said – Maybe a step or two on the 40 time, but not out here, yeah. not, not on the field. And we saw that on that play to, you know, Xavier Howard had him in coverage and it was a screen pass and he just ran, just outran him, just dashed right past him untouched. I think he was untouched on the play and that, mm-hmm. uh, what, what was it? 62 yards, a 62 yeah. yard touchdown. You know, you talk about zero tolerance where well, we're, we're dialing up on a year now that Antonio Brown has been with this organization and he has flourished in this zero, zero tolerance system that he's in. Um, again, somebody else, you just, you don't have enough superlatives for, and you combine Antonio Brown, you know, Arian said it also when he's your third option, Ooh. you, you got to have sympathy for the, for the guy covering him. You know, the, the number three guy on the, you know, in the in the nickel scheme or whatever it is covering him. It's just not a fair fight. I thought it was funny. Leonard Fournette, who we talked to, we can get into Leonard, who had another uh, good game, both running and catching the football. 
Leonard Fournette said he was standing on the sideline with Richard Sherman. Sherman's in his second game with the Buccaneers. And, he, and Sherman and him are watching this, right? Every, every second, a different guy is taking off with the football, as you mentioned, what, five guys over 40-plus yards. And, and he looks at Sherman. Sherman says, I've never seen anything. I've never been on a team like this. And he goes, oh, yeah, the blank is different here, man. <laughs> <laughs> which is so Lenny, but, uh, but you know what? Credit, credit to Leonard Fournette, who look, a, a, another guy who's, who's both begun to not just obviously flourish as a football player, but really turn his reputation around as well, because, you know, it was late last season. They benched him against Minnesota. He had a bad attitude. We know what happened. Rojo gets COVID. The next thing you know, he's back in there. He becomes playoff Lenny, then Lombardi Lenny. But you know what? Tom Brady has an awful lot of trust in him, particularly in the passing game. And I think that's the part that, that I'm, has opened my eyes is that he's, he's uh, you know, able to not just catch the ball, and he had seven drops a year ago, but do something when he gets it. I mean, he, he ran through some guys today um, like we saw him do in the postseason. Hey, this is his second consecutive game of 100 total yards. He had 110 today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 12 carries, 67 yards. He had 92 rushing yards at New England. And he said, you know, catching the ball is something he has been working on and he feels like he has is, he is developed or um, earned Tom Brady's trust because, you know, he, he said it, you know, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but if you don't, you don't catch a ball from Tom, he's like, you know, I, I can't trust you. I'm not going to throw it to you. Well, Lenny's one of his top targets in the last two or three games. Let's see what today he was targeted five times, caught four of them for 43 yards. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it. This is about this time last year. He was a healthy scratch in some games. He was about as deep in Arians' doghouse as he could be. And, and you think to the future, Rick, we've talked about this before. The only guy technically under contract, the only running back is Keshawn Vaughn for yeah. 2022. So they got some decisions to make about Fournette. Jones and Gio Bernard and I'm not so sure they don't re-up with Fournette if he keeps up at this race at this pace because I mean he he's producing he's producing as a as a dual threat tailback where it's a long season and running back is you just look around the league it's an attrition uh, the most attrition there is of any position because of, of just all the injuries and things that you have so the, they'll probably need three or all four of them before the year is out that's usually the case at that position but man He's playing really, really well. Okay, on the defensive side, um, I don't think anybody entered the game thinking, wow, Jacoby Brissett, you know, you better watch out for that mad bomber because we know what Jacoby Brissett is. He's a serviceable, professional quarterback. But the fact is that the Dolphins had not been running the football. Nobody runs the football against the Bucks, them in particular. And really, they hadn't had any big plays in the passing game. I mean, they were lacking explosiveness. You know what? Jacoby Brissett... Even though he injured his hamstring, he battled his butt off against the Bucks. I mean, at one point, you know, uh, Bruce Arians said he didn't like the first five minutes of the third quarter. Well, yeah, because all of a sudden you look up, it's a 24-17 game. Jacoby Brissett kept the Miami Dolphins in it. Now, they didn't score again. That's a credit to this defense, though, because um, even though they're playing banged up in the secondary, I think, I think that the front seven is starting to impose their will a little bit, particularly, particularly in the pass rush. They hit Brissett a bunch of times today. Um, Shaq Barrett is really leading the way on that end. I know they got JPP back, um, but I thought I thought today was one of their better efforts defensively um, once they really clamped down. When you walk out of an NFL game with just allowing 17 points, I don't care who it is, that's improvement. And this team's always going to give up yards, but keeping them off the scoreboard was the thing today, and I thought they did that well. Yeah, um, seven quarterback hits from what, what I see on this stat sheet on – on Brissett. And, you know, I, I may be wrong, but Rick, we're talking about the secondary. It's a Band-Aid fix right now. Richard Sherman, bless his heart, is out there playing full games with, you know, his legs aren't under him yet. And I don't think they let really anything get behind him, you know, to, right. today. There are some, you know, some things got in front of him. And Jacoby Brissett had a nice day, 275 yards. But I think it goes back to the pass rush. They are imposing their will. Shaq Barrett had he was credited with a sack and a half today. Vita Vea finally got credited with a sack when in reality he's probably got about 10 this year. So, yeah, I do think it starts starts with the pass rush, and you, you've just got to give credit to Bowles and those guys for their grit and just trying to keep it together with a, with a decimated lineup, which could be a little more decimated because we saw that play. It was cringe-inducing. Levante David goes up, gets off his feet to try to – 
bat down a brissette pass, and when he comes down and an offensive lineman pushes Domakong Sue into him, just rolls his legs. It looked really bad. I thought it was bad, but Levante got up, walked off on his own power, but afterward Bruce Arian said it might be a high ankle sprain, and we know how sketchy those can be. Not only are they sketchy, they're also the slowest to, to heal. Sometimes you're almost better off uh, cracking a, a small bone or something, but it can take sometimes up to four weeks. We know that Levante is a, is a quick healer. We know he's played his career with a lot of pain. Unfortunately for the Bucks, they have a game in a few days. They go to Philadelphia on Thursday, um, you know, and the schedule is such that there is no practice because these guys got to get their bodies back. There'll be a lot of walkthroughs, a lot of condensed game planning, planning in the next few days, and they travel on Wednesday. Um, so we're looking at a guy that at least has played a lot of football in this position, Kevin Minter, who will step in for Levante, assuming he can't go Thursday, um, which is which is a good thing. But I, I, th- I guess you could say for one day at least they didn't lose a member of the secondary. And, in fact, they saw a guy come back in Jamel Dean who actually made a play, which was nice. Yeah, if anybody needed a big play, just uh, an uplifter, a, a confidence builder was Jamel Dean, and he had that – that second half interception also had two pass deflections Rick I, I didn't realize that looking at the stat sheet he just needed that for for a confidence boost and I, I I put a lot of value and confidence as an intangible when you're going out there as an NFL athlete that can that can do so much for performance so that's something that Jamel Dean needed but I, I'll tell you what going into this next game you talked about it on a short week I think that's a really dicey game in Philadelphia because you've got a, a, a depleted defense, especially in the secondary. And so far, the last two games, they've played basically kind of pocket passers. Certainly, Mac Jones was one, mm-hmm. and Jacoby Brissett doesn't move around oh. too well. Well, that, they're facing a whole different beast in Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really interesting to see how or if they can contain him on, again, on short rest, on short preparation on a Thursday night in Philadelphia. Yeah, and those those windows in, in in the secondary get really wide when that quarterback scrambles around. Um, it is it is a difficult ask, uh, but somehow the Bucks have managed to get themselves to to four and one, and they're going to have to find a way to game plan and travel to Philadelphia and get another win. I am curious that you know you mentioned uh, Brady and his thumb. I am curious how he'll feel now. He's not a guy that misses a lot of games in his career. In fact, just the one year that he had. Um, you know, that he had the uh, ACL injury. Everything else, he's you know he's gotten hurt before. You know this is not, in 21 years, this isn't the first time he's probably banged his head, his, his finger uh, on a helmet. And I think, you know, to what we saw the rest of the way is pretty good evidence that he could still grip a football. It might be different on a short week. Um, I would expect them to fully play. I don't think they're going to go up there and try to win with Blaine Gabbert. Um, but, you know, that being said, that's why you have a backup quarterback who got to get into the game late today and made a good, nice throw to Antonio and did some things just in case. So we'll see if the Bucks can keep it going. I mean, the schedule actually turns a little bit in their favor right now. I mean, they had the emotional game at uh, Boston, obviously, coming off the Rams game. They win that in a close one. They execute better on offense, score as many points as they've scored in a while here against the Miami Dolphins, and they had a 1 o'clock game to boot, which was nice. They'll get some extra rest that way. Um, even even the couple hours at night make a difference. Um, and then they got to go up and play a Philadelphia team that they should beat because they are just they should be better than the Eagles regardless of where they play. Uh, and, and then, you know, I, I just think they've hit a part of that season. Until they get to New Orleans on Halloween night, it all seems to be kind of headed there. Those two teams, the Saints and the Bucks kind of looking at each other from across the Gulf of Mexico here. We know Jameis Winston awaits. We know all the plot lines are there, and some spooky things happen on Halloween in the Big big Easy. So um, not to get ahead of ourselves, but there's still a lot of football between now and then. But, man, um, this is shaping up to be you know one of those crazy races that we're only a quarter of the way through, and yet um, it feels like, you know, New Orleans and the Bucks are going to be staring at each other. And we'll see what happens with Carolina, which I guess faltered on Sunday, right? Yeah, um, it, it's all coming come to a head with Halloween night. Uh, I heard Bruce Arians saw one of those clips right after the game in the locker room, I guess it was NFL Films or something, and he said, hey, we're not celebrating this. We'll celebrate this one next weekend. Mm. I mean, if, if if a team needed a de facto bye weekend, yeah, it, it, it's the Bucks, and, and they will get that once they uh, – if and when they take care of business in Philadelphia Thursday night. They just need that bye weekend so badly. And then, yes, it shapes up well. Then, you know, the Bears 
uh, you know, with yeah. with a rookie quarterback, and then it comes to the comes to the head on Halloween night in, in New Orleans, and I, I agree that that shapes up very favorably, and that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, national TV game uh, late that afternoon, I think, at four o'clock. Probably Fox doubleheader. Probably get Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and the whole crew. So that'll be. That'll be fun. Well, that's what we have uh, from this game uh, this week. Again, um, we'll be doing some Zoom calls with players, I think, today. We'll be talking to Bruce Arians, of course, again. And no days off, really. Um, Just getting ready for uh, the Thursday night game in Philadelphia. They'll travel on Wednesday. We'll have lots for you um, with Joey, myself, in TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. So uh, check out all the Bucks coverage there. All right, so we'll see if the Rays can extend this series back to the Tropicana Field. Game four, of course, is tonight. Um, the Bucks will begin their preparations immediately for their Thursday night game at Philadelphia, which kicks off, of course, the next week in the NFL. Quick turnaround, as we mentioned. Always hard to do, uh, especially for the team that's going on the road, as the Bucks are in this case. We've also had a tremendous, tremendous weekend of college football that we want to get into. I'm telling you, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better collection of games, starting with Oklahoma, Texas, and going all the way through the night. Just compelling football. Texas A&M's big win over Alabama, so we'll talk a lot about that weekend in college football we haven't had a chance to get to. So, And the Lightning open the season tomorrow night. Incredible. Alex Barry Boulay did not make the opening night roster. He is on waivers currently. Wow. The hope that he'll clear and go to Syracuse, but I find that hard to believe that he will make it through waivers. We'll find out this afternoon. But well, That shows you how deep this and talented this Tampa Bay Lightning team is. They really like what they have, I guess. Well, it looks like Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk have made the team, and Barry Belay did not. So, yeah. Well, I'm hoping to go to that opener myself on Tuesday if I can get done with the Bucks in time, but what a time to be alive here in Tampa Bay. Uh, with Tom Brady throwing for all those yards and touchdowns. I mean, this has been uh, quite a run here these next few, uh, last few years, I guess. And we'll see if the Rays maybe still have a second act left in them. They're not done yet. So appreciate you guys listening. It's been a long weekend, um, but we still got plenty of sports, of course, coming up for you this week. So for Steve Burstyn, Governor Stout of the Tampa Bay Times, have a great day, everybody. 